Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. This is the type of weather that gets me excited. This is the type of weather where I go, yeah, should have maybe worn something a little bit warmer this morning. Sure. But you know what? Gives me a pep in my step. Makes me ready to go. This is what I call football weather. Ooh, get me. Gets me geared up. Wish I had a game to go call tonight. But I don't because it's only Tuesday. Unfortunately. It's only Tuesday. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this slightly chilly but delightful Tuesday morning as we get closer and closer to October. Just a few days away. Final week of September has arrived. Joining me on this journey of enlightenment, entertainment, and just utter enjoyment, of course, as the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. She's dancing. There's dancing in the studio. There's dancing. We have a tremendous show lined up for you today on this Tuesday. Brett Chancy, our buddy from the Locked On Astros podcast, will join us an hour from now at 7 o'clock. No Stroh's game yesterday, rare day off, but huh, they only have a handful of games left. And due to the Yankees losing to the Blue Jays, the Stroh's magic number is down to two to clinch home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Do believe by the time I am in Houston a week from tomorrow to catch the regular season finale, as the Astros take on the Philadelphia Phillies. Yours truly and Kevin Foote, the footsie. We'll be there with the B&B boys, Ben and Blaine. By that time, there probably won't be playing for much. <laughs> that said, Astros looking to finish strong for the regular season. I've already eclipsed 100 wins, looking to clinch home field advantage. Brett will talk to us about all of that coming up an hour from right now. Right after that, Coach Dez will join us, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns head man. How does the team bounce back from a tough loss to open up Sunbelt Conference play? And what challenges do the Jaguars of South Alabama present, which will be this Saturday's opponent for homecoming? At 8 o'clock, live in the studio, the great one will be in the building, the great Gazzolo. We'll be here as we talk all things McNeese. Gary Goff got his first win of his tenure with the Cowboys last Saturday. They open up conference play this Saturday as they go to take on Incarnate Word on the road in lovely San Antonio. That'll be at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, 
Ali Cassell, our friend from the Bird Rights, will join us recapping New Orleans Pelicans Media Day, which was yesterday. Lots of buzz, people getting excited, people buying in about the Pelicans. So we got four great guests lined up for you this morning. Of course, we love to hear from you. Hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But let's start off today talking New Orleans Saints. They didn't come home. They left Charlotte on Sunday following another tough loss. One and two on the season. And they headed right over to old London. This may be the best thing for them. When I first looked at the schedule, I said, oh, the London trip's brutal. Because they don't get a day off, right? They don't get a bye week before or after. So it's kind of brutal for them to have to squeeze this in. I've never understood the NFL scheduling model here. Jet lag is a real thing. It is a real thing. But this may be the best thing for them. And what I mean by that is they're going to be isolated now, essentially. Right? They'll have their media sessions that they'll have to deal with, but a lot of it will be remote. A lot of it will be teleconference. And they'll just be isolated just with themselves in the hotel room for the next week until they kick off 9 o'clock our time this coming Sunday. By the way, you can listen to that game, Vikings, Saints, courtesy of our friends at Westwood One this coming Sunday right here on the game. But this may be the best thing for them. Just focus in on themselves. No distraction with family and friends. No distraction of being back at home. Everything like that. They get to just sit and stew about how they have struggled to start the season. Could be the absolute best thing for them. To focus in on themselves, do some self-reflection and push themselves and spend a lot of awkward time together going, how in the heck are we one and two? We have the talent to be three and oh, should have been three and oh. But we've not done our job. This is not only for the players for this. This is also could be a very productive time for Dennis Allen, the head coach, and Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator. But once again, you think of all the things that have gone wrong for this team in the first three weeks. And we want to place it on Jameis. I get that. It's easy to do so. He plays quarterback. Penalties kept the Saints in third and long on Sunday, didn't it? That's not winning football. They were poor on execution on first and second down. Missed opportunities. Poor blitz identification and play adjustment by both Winston and the offensive line. Fumbles by not Jameis. Missed field goals. Over and over and over and over and over again. And as our friend 
Our old friend Brian Bienemy pointed out, as he and I talked about this on Twitter, said, I'd love it to be a quick fix and just bench Jameis, but that doesn't account for all the other issues. I hope things can get turned around this week, but it's more likely to be a failure. And I responded, those issues in no particular order through three games for this team. Missed tackles on defense. They're missing way too many tackles on defense. They gave up a huge touchdown in in Sunday's game. P.J. Williams, whiff. Tyron Matthew, whiff. These are veteran guys. These aren't rooks. These aren't guys that, oh, the moment's too big for me. I've never played on this level. These are veteran players not doing their job. Missed tackles on defense has been a problem all three games. Lutz being wildly inconsistent. He was supposed to be back. He's missing extra points and field goals. You count on him. We said it before the start of the season, having him back is going to win you two games. Well, if he is playing terribly, he's going to lose you a couple games because you need those points. O-line not picking up the blitz, not recognizing it. Eric McCoy gets the contract extension. He has played awful. Jameis not going through his reads and picking up blitzes. Adam Troutman's been open. Other guys have been open in games. He simply does not see them. Now, is he panicking because he's not going through his reads because he's worried about getting blitzed? But he's worried about getting hit? Probably. But he's got to do a better job of going through his reads because there are wide open Saints players on multiple plays. Stupid offensive penalties have been an issue all three games. Got to clean that up. That's a sign of an undisciplined team. Bad offensive play calling. Why aren't they using screens? The screen game was a hallmark of Sean Payne's offense. Pete Carmichael's like, eh. Alvin Kamara's had seasons of 80 targets. 80. They don't use them in the passing game. You have one of the best, most versatile, versatile all-purpose backs in the league, and they're not dialing up plays to get the ball in his hands. That's bad play calling. That's bad coaching. Once again, you can put everything at the feet of Jameis Winston, but he's not missing tackles on defense. He's not making Will Lutz be inconsistent. He's not making the offensive line not pick up the blitz. He's not doing false start penalties across the offensive line, is he? He's not calling bad plays where you don't put the ball in Alvin Kamara's hands. Now, he's making bad throws and making bad reads. That's on him. But if you take out Jameis Winston, you put in Andy Dalton, that doesn't fix the other issues. And that's my bigger point that I'm making. This team does not look well coached. You know what happens with poorly coached teams? They lose games. I don't care how much talent you have. I don't care how big the contracts are on the roster. I don't care how many Pro Bowls or all pros these players have. None of that matters if the team is poorly coached. Poor preparation, poor execution as a coaching staff on game day. That is what you've seen over and over again from these Saints. That's the bigger issue. You put in Andy Dalton and eliminates one issue. 
not going through the read progressions, and making bad throws. Okay, that's one thing. But I just gave you a laundry list of what else is wrong with this team. That's the thing that's the biggest concern for me. All these other things, Will Lutz getting back to being consistent, you can fix. Missed tackles on defense, hey, some old-fashioned Oklahoma drill time in, in practice this week. You can fix that. Defensive guys have pride. They don't want to get burned. They don't want to be uh, looking embarrassed on national TV. You could maybe even clean up the offensive penalties, the stupid ones. Okay. And maybe you can even fix bad offensive play calling. Pete Carmichael, who I'd like to point out, once again, people forget this. When DA took over, reports coming out of New Orleans from reputable media members said Pete Carmichael was not interested in being the offensive coordinator. He did not want to be the OC. He just wanted to stay on staff as possibly the quarterback's coach. And then they came back and hired him anyway. Don't forget that. That's interesting. That's something to remember. Because remember, Sean Payton called the plays. He had the two huge laminated billboards that he kept in front of his face during game days. He's the one. Carmichael may have been in the booth and he may have had the title as co-offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. But Sean Payton was calling the offensive plays for this team. And reports were, Pete Carmichael told Dennis Allen and Mickey Loomis and Gail Benson, I'd like to be on staff, but I don't want to be OC. Is this a simple thing of a guy saying, that's out of my element. I know I won't be good at it. I don't want to do it. But you hired him, and you convinced him to take the job, and now you have someone who may be not qualified for the job doing the job. You understand? That could be part of this. It could be. But all that said, because the way the NFL is, and we'll get to the Monday night football game after the break, is there are only two teams that are 3-0 and in the NFL. It's week, it's, we're, we're done with week three, and we only have two undefeated teams left. As everyone predicted, the Eagles and Dolphins are your two undefeated teams. We have one team from the playoffs a year ago that's 0-3. Everyone's 1-2 or 2-1. You know what the Saints are? They're 1-2. Which means that a win on Sunday puts them at 2-2 and right back on track. If the rest of the league had kind of left them in the dust, I'd say it'd be more time to hit the old panic button, as we like to say. But it's not. Because the NFL, so far this year, is slightly watered down. Teams are still going through the preseason, if you will. They don't look crisp. They don't look like well-old machines. We have had a lot of ugly football in the NFL to start off the season. So being isolated, being by themselves, having to get it together, figuring out what's wrong, gut check time, so to speak, 
to step up is right there for them to do. And Dennis Allen talked about the benefit of them being away from home and being in London this week. Well, I think, number one, getting accustomed to the time. I think that's the number one benefit. Um, like I said earlier, I think, um, you know, being in, in this environment with, with just your team, uh, there's not a lot of distractions here. So um, we get to bond together as a team and we get to really focus on football. See, it's that last part right there. Yeah, adjusting to the time and, adjust, and all, uh, yeah, uh, that's fine. But that's the bigger thing right there. We can just focus in on football. Think of it as almost a way of going back to training camp and doing a reset here. They have the opportunity to reset themselves and to get right. And one of the things that you need to have a lot of reflection about this week while they're in London preparing for Sunday morning's game against the Minnesota Vikings is how do you fix the plethora of turnovers? Yeah, look, I think it's got to be, uh, again, a point of emphasis. I think we've got to focus on it in practice. Um, I think we've got to continue to show our guys how uh, those are the things that keep you from winning in our league. Um, and, and really, that was a lot of the discussion that we had today was, um, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot of good things, uh, but we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot um, and, and put ourselves behind the, uh, behind the eight ball a little bit. And so we've got to eliminate those mistakes that, you know, are, are keeping us from winning. Once again, the time is now to get right. Once again, the rest of the NFL, no one's running away with anything. We only have two undefeated teams left, and it's only through week three after the Cowboys beat the G-Men last night. Beat Minnesota on Sunday morning. Get to two and two. And guess who's still on the schedule? Yeah, you got the Bengals, but they've struggled. The Raiders, the Seahawks, all those teams come to the Dome. You have an opportunity to get right. I think you're going to see a lot of hovering around 500 teams this year in the NFL. Just feels that way to me. Just does. Feel like you're going to have division winners that are 10 game winners. I could be wrong. Teams can turn it around, but Saints have an opportunity to get back on track. They'll have to do so on Sunday. Once again, you can listen to the game live from London. Saints Vikings right here on the game. Kickoff will be at 9 o'clock. Wake up early. Get your football on. We'll have not one, but four games for you on the radio on Sunday. Four. Hannah Five Names can't wait. She's already got her alarm set for Sunday to wake up early. She's going to put everything aside. No bowling, no unpacking, no cooking. Boom. She's going to get her airheads and wake up early to, to watch and listen to some NFL action on Sunday. Yes? No? Okay. Great. Great interaction there. Thanks for being part of the show. We got to take a timeout. As she shakes her head in disgust. Don't you eat airheads for breakfast? I'm not making up lies here. You, you like to spend your time bowling not. and unpacking for your house. And you eat airheads for breakfast because I've seen you do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have key lime pie M&M's today. 
are you going to open up your eyes this morning? They are open. You sure about that? I am not going to be waking up early. <laughs> uh, a butt like a chicken to watch football. That's not happening. It's I'm 9 o'clock the in the coming. morning. You have to wake up at 4 just to get here for this job. Yeah, during the week. Saturday and Sunday is a different during ball game, week. bud. During the week. I got homecoming for UL this weekend. That's like at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. It's not like you're yeah. going to have to be there until 4 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Just pointing that out. Yeah. I know. RP3 with his facts. <laughs> get out of here. We got to take a timeout. When we return, I'll unfortunately have to give praise to the Dallas Cowboys. I'll be sick doing it, but you know what? I'll power through. That's next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Ah, uh, the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. You know what? It's designed to allow you to win free stuff. But if you're a fellow out there, you got a lady friend, girlfriend, wife, fiance, you want to treat her well, right? You want to do something nice for her. But maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck right now. Maybe money's a little tight. Well, guess what? If you become a member of our clubhouse, you don't have to worry about that because you'll have the opportunity to win great stuff that's going to help you with your date night, fellas, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. Mouth-watering steaks, great sides, adult beverages. She's going to love it. They bring the dessert out on like a three-tier golden cart. It's very fancy. You want something a little bit more cash? You and your lady? Don't want to have to make sure to wear fancy clothes to go to a nice place to eat. Not to worry. How about a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also at Cypress Bayou? And we also, in addition to that, $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Great Gulf seafood, relaxed environment. Either way, you want to go. You have the opportunity to score excellent prizes to help you with your date night blues, but you can only do that. If you become a member of our clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, it's free, it's simple, so go sign up today. That way we can help you with your date night blues. It's been blue of late for Dallas Cowboy fans. That's, well, really since 1995. Dak Prescott gets injured in the opener. Zeke Elliott looks washed up. He, he still kind of looks washed up. And it looks like Jera and his cowpokes will be struggling yet again. Yet, once the dust settled after week three, guess who's two and one? 
Dallas Cowboys. Hard-fought, come-from-behind victory against the New York Giants on the road. Giants had started off the season 2-0. Cowboys, thanks to a miraculous one-handed touchdown snag by C.D. Lamb, they get the win over the G-Men last night, 23-16. Both the Cowboys and the Giants are 2-1 on the season. And Cooper Rush, small school uh, small school guy in college, was running the scout team for the Cowboys, elevated to their starting quarterback while Dak is out. Not bad, right? 21-31, 215 yards, one touchdown, no picks, no sacks. That's a f- efficient winning football. No mistakes. And not getting treated like a ragdoll behind the line of scrimmage. Amazing. You can win games that way. Once again, last night's game wasn't pretty. I mean, Trayvon Diggs diving game-winning interception was miraculous. That kid can just flat-out play. And C.D. Lamb's one-handed touchdown catch was great, but a lot of this game was not optimal. Tony Pollard led Dallas in rushing. Two less carries. Over 100 yards, Zeke Elliott got himself uh, 73 yards on 15 carries. Did get a touchdown, though. Saquon Barkley did score a touchdown, but he was held to less than 82 yards rushing. And Daniel Jones, Kevin Foote's favorite NFC East quarterback, 20 of 37 for 196. No touchdowns, a pick. He was sacked five times. Once again, you look at the standings. Only two teams now are undefeated. The Philadelphia Eagles, the Miami Dolphins. That's it. That's it. And we have one winless team in the Raiders. We have another team that hasn't won a game, but also has a tie. Got to love those early season ties. NFL is a weird place right now. No one's dominant. Offenses don't look crisp. But I tell you something, Dallas is going to be in pretty much every game they play. Not because of their offense, but because of their defense. Their defense is legit. Unfortunately for the Cowboys, I don't think their offense is. But Dallas's defense, they got some good old-fashioned, just straight-up dogs on that side of the football. They can play, and they're going to keep them in every game they're in. Unfortunately, I don't think the offense is quite there. Week three in the books. Oh, week four. Week four. It's going to start Thursday night. Bengals going to be dropping the white. The white helmets. White stripe helmets going to be with the white uniforms. Well, that's going to look good. And they got a win. They got off the schneid, starting off 0-2. They got a win over the Jets over the weekend. So there you go. 
Are you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I was I was focused on telling the people about Thursday night football, but then I glanced over and Hannah Five Names is being very expressive with her facial expressions. You're grimacing. You got the big eyes. What's going on over there? I was just looking at who I was playing against next week in fantasy. Absolutely. Going against Darren and my Paran. It's going to be a great week. Um, when you play fantasy football, there's no mercy. There, 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 there's no mercy. Friendships, alliances, family, irrelevant. You're there to do one thing. To have other people do all the work for you to crush the face of somebody else. Yeah. There you go. You're welcome. Dolphins Bengals is Thursday night football. That's going to be blockbuster. Undefeated Miami. Tua Waddle. Tyreek Hill going to be taking on Cincinnati. Cincinnati's going to be rocking the white alternate jerseys and helmets. So the orange, there'll be the white stripes. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Could be a good game. That'll be Thursday night. Of course, you can listen to it right here on the game. You're home for the NFL. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk New Orleans Pelicans. That's right. Media day. There's a buzz about this team. Everyone's talking about how fit Zion Williamson looked. Looked like a new guy. They're all ramped up. They're all ready to go. People are picking them to be a trendy team to make a deep run in the Western Conference playoffs. We'll recap media day with you next and unveil our poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address and someone's going to come out there and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free. It's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. The New Orleans Pelicans held their media day yesterday. To plenty of fanfare, people are excited. Zion Williamson looks fit. Will he actually play? Maybe. We were told he was going to play last year at Media Day. And you know what happened? He didn't. 
but there does seem to be a buzz about this team. C.J. McCollum takes a contract extension to stick around. You got him, you got B.I., you got Zion, and you got a bunch of nice pieces. They showed their potential. They finally came together under Willie Green last year. Can they make a run? Can they do something special? Maybe. Got to prove it. That's me. That's how I'm built. You got to prove it. But a lot of the hoopla, of course, surrounds Zion Williamson. And him being back and him actually returning to the court and the big fellow, the former number one overall pick and the face of the franchise, talked about him finally returning to the court. I've never dealt with a layover like this. That's a long time without playing a game. But my excitement level is through the roof. I'm just ready to get back on the court. Ready to get back on the court. For a guy being so young, he's missed a lot of time. And, and that's the big concern. Whether or not, because he has such a unique build, a unique body, is it going to last? Now, he looks he looks in great shape. He appears ready to go. He looks like he's lost weight, which is going to be good for his joints. It's going to be good for him to be able to move. But once again, is he going to be able to last? Don't know. I mean, that's a legitimate question. That's not being negative. That's a legitimate question. Can he carry the team? Can he develop his body in a way where he can last for a season. And and look, during this downtime and going through the rehab process and being frustrated and everything like that, he admitted that he learned a lot about his body. Man, uh, it's one of those feelings where I'm in the gym and something happens, and I'm like, oh, man, I can really do that. Oh, that's different. Uh, but now I learned a lot from nutrition standpoint, from working out standpoint, how long I need to be in the gym and the most efficient way to work out. Most efficient way to work out. That's a positive sign. You would have liked him to be able to figure that out beforehand. But if the light bulb's finally going off for Zion on the best way to maintain his body and the best way to eat and the best way to be able to have a successful career in the NBA... Great, it's happening now. You'll take advantage of it. But the biggest thing for him is not getting the weight down or if he's going to stay healthy. Developing chemistry. There was a lot of talk, some of it warranted, some of it not, about him being away from the team last year and not building, being around and building the chemistry with the guys that were on the court after they made the C.J. McCollum trade and B.I. and those guys kind of came together under Willie Green. And they made the playoffs. And Zion wasn't part of that until later. He finally came back and was on the bench cheering on his teammates. But, you know, that's the biggest thing for me is we saw what the other guys can do. How do you incorporate Zion into that mix now? And he talked about being a priority for him is building that chemistry with his his new teammates. In the moment, I was just caught up in the, the game itself, just one of my teammates to go out there and win. Then over the summer, I was able to break it down more. And I think it's going to be really easy for me to fit in with my teammates. Uh, 
because uh, they play the game the right way. Nobody's selfish. Uh, everybody, like I said, everybody wants to see each other succeed. Now, there are things we are going to have to learn. Like, I'm have to learn how to play with CJ and be out on the court, learn how to play with Jose, Trey, Herb, because I haven't played with those guys yet. But from watching film, look, it's going to be an easy fit. That's going to be their biggest hurdle. If everyone's healthy, their biggest hurdle is going to be how Zion plays with the rest of them. Because the rest of them developed the chemistry and figured out how to play with each other on the court. And Willie figured out how to do the rotation with those players and how to attack on defense and all this other stuff. Now you got to incorporate a guy that hasn't played. You just heard him. Not only has he not played with CJ, he hasn't played with Herb Jones. Hasn't played with Jose Alvar. He hasn't played with these guys. You got to figure out that comes with time. That's not going to be right off the bat. That, has, that comes with actual reps. That's going to be the biggest challenge for the Pelicans this year is incorporating Zion into what they want to do. For C.J. McCollum, he went from being an off-the-ball guard to a guy having to handle the ball for the Pelicans, and it actually worked. He kind of, he kind of thrived in that role and really kind of helped bring the team together. And C.J. yesterday at Media Day, Talked about embracing that role as being the primary ball handler for the Pels. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, I'm a product of my environment. I did what I had to do in each environment to be successful, take care of my family. And I've done it consistently. And um, although the role is different, the situation is different, it's still basketball. It still reads. It's still making the right plays. It's still playing with pace. It's understanding the offense better, uh, having more control over play calls, although – when I played alongside Dame, we still called the plays. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, respectfully, Terry did a great job of teaching us his offense. And then when we got Chauncey, it was the same thing to where you get to a certain level or status within an organization. You have in input and you have some control. And I think the same goes for here to where, you know, Willie's done a tremendous job and will do a tremendous job of teaching us to where we'll feel comfortable calling plays. And now that I'll know the plays, that'll be helpful. Um, in terms of spacing and understanding how to get guys going when the JV needs a touch, when the Z need a touch, when his BI need to get going. And um, I take responsibility in, you know, being a leader and doing those things. But I think it's more about just playing the game. Like, I know how to play this game at a high level. I know how to play it different ways. Um, and I think you'll see that this season. Does he not just sound like the coolest cat in the room? Like, for real. Like, he's just so chill and relax and confident like you can tell that's infectious on that team you can see why cj fit in with the pels and got all the guys that kind of buy in he's got he's got that kind of personality you can see that and you can see that with the, his head coach willie green as well you know the the big thing for the pels and cj spoke on that is you know look they, they had some success last year right they rallied. They got into the playoffs. They did well. They surprised a lot of people. But the key for them is to build on that success from last season, and CJ talked about that as well. I mean, first of all, we like each other. I think that helps. You know, you got to have a good relationship with your teammates. You see them more than you see your family. You see them more than you see everybody else. So uh, that helps. And then just understanding people's games, who's cutting, who's not, who likes to shoot, who doesn't, who's more in tune to want to guard the best player on the other team. Um, tendencies, who likes to drive left, who likes to drive right, who likes to take two dribbles and pass. Like, you need to know a little bit about everybody. And I think now we're in a, a better point where 
They understand me. They understand my mentality. I understand them. I understand how they work. I understand how they like to, you know, to be coached. I understand who's going to challenge me and who's not. Like, I think it's important, you know, those types of things heading into a season and chemistry matters and being around the same group matters. Obviously, there's tweaks that will happen throughout your career where stuff happens as a part of the game. But all in all, I think we're in a good space. We're in a good spot. And we got a chance to build on some of the things we did last year and try to take another step forward. Trying to take a step forward. And, look, the other thing about this team, with McCollum re-upping, signing the contract extension, a healthy fit, Zion back, B.I., the pieces that they have, Willie Green, another year under his belt. You know, expectations have risen for this team where they become a trendy pick to make it to the Western Conference Finals. You know, a lot of people are buying into what the Pelicans are doing, especially with the seismic shift going on in the West with the Phoenix Suns imploding in front of our eyes. B.I., the all-star, Brandon Ingram, talked about, has the mindset of this team now changed with now there being far loftier expectations? The mentality is always to win. Um, The expectation is to win, especially for our team. We... um, we just had some added fans. We always um, kind of believed in each other and what we were doing. So um, the expectation is still the same. I don't know what's, what's the outside expectation, but for us it's um, ultimately trying to bring a championship to New Orleans, right? They're saying all the right things. I like their coach. I like their pieces. The big question mark for them is going to be incorporating Zion and can he stay healthy? Because they could be a really, really good team. They have good pieces. You're adding a, a, a guy that's a franchise player, an all-star player to the mix. How do you incorporate him? And can he stay healthy? They can do that. They can accomplish a lot. Can they do that? That's the big question mark. That leads us to our poll question of the day. Are you buying into the New Orleans Pelicans hype? Yes, this is the season. Maybe. Their health, though. No, not buying it, or they're always popular. Who cares? Football! We'll share some of the comments when we come back out of this timeout to wrap up our number one. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you buying into the New Orleans Pelicans hype? 36% of you, for our poll question of the day, say, who cares? Football! <laughs> Don't y'all ever change. <laughs> I made sure to have that as an option, too. Hannah was like, are you sure? I was like, yes, trust me on this. 26% of you say yes, this is the season. 26% say maybe their health, though. 12% say no, I'm not buying it. John Paul Cajun Daddy says they seem to have all the parts to be successful. I think the most important is C.J. McCollum. He's the glue that brings the team together. So glad they extended him. That being said, football! So, dang care now. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming. And we'll update them and share them throughout today's show. Hour one in the books. Hour number two. Going to kick it off with Brett Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros. That's next here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Major League Baseball season is winding down. Magic number for the Strohs to have home field advantage throughout the American League playoffs is now down to two. Strohs were off last night. Yankees, though, lost. So, magic number now two. They wrap up the regular season a week from tomorrow with an afternoon tilt at Minute Maid Park against the Philadelphia Phillies. So, what do you think the game plan is here for the final week? Yeah, the magic number's two, but the Astros have bigger aspirations. They want to make sure their rotation's set for the postseason because they're going to get some time off because they're not going to have to play in the wild card round. This means they won't play until the 11th, I do believe, to start the divisional series. So, does Dusty Baker take it easy this last week or so? Does he give guys extra time off? Or does he want to keep guys fresh? What's going to be the approach? To give us some insight is the man who covers the team for the Locked On Network from the Locked On Astros. Brett Chancy joins us. Brett, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind this morning, man? Talk to me. Talk to me about your Astros. You didn't have a game to watch. So what's pertinent on your mind this morning on this lovely chilly Tuesday, September 27th. Oh, man. I, you, you want to talk about fall weather and the fall classic just on the brink and postseason. And, you know, Justin Verlander may, who knows, he may get two two more starts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you think, you, know, you, you, you really Look, think he's going to get two more one. starts? Well, well, I'm just saying, he gets, he gets one more. You, you, you've got a week off. The reason why I like Justin Verlander starting this week is because you don't have to worry about him, just like you were saying. But man, it it sure would be nice for him to get a second start because he would. I mean, he would have enough time in between. But I'm sure Dusty Baker and the Astros, the way they manage the team, aren't going to let that happen. It is a shame that he won't probably get to get to get 20 wins. But I still think if he finishes the season on a high note with a win, that you're going to. Um, see him win the Cy Young. I think you're, you know, I'm excited about Fremer Valdez is probably going to get some votes. Um, and, hey, get this, uh, a, a quiet MVP-type season for Jose Altuve has been happening that a lot of people haven't talked about in his sustainability all season long and enduring what he has to endure every road game. You know, this guy will probably get some third-place votes in the MVP candidacy this year just because of how how great he has been on the field and offensively. So this team, I don't think you necessarily have to play all your guys every single game. They are probably going to decide on like what David Hensley's role is going to be. We're, we're hearing rumblings about Jake Myers possibly being called up onto the playoff roster. If he's healthy enough, he hasn't been hitting great, but he does have some playoff experience. So there's a lot of irons in the fire. There's there's a lot to sort out, but it's not a bad thing to have to sort out. It's a good thing because you're trying to figure out what guys on this roster are going to be, are going to be most effective. I 
I really hope Diaz gets gets more at bats towards the end because this guy has been great since the All Star break. So, pitching wise, they've got to line up their rotation to where they're not showing too much to the Rays. Hopefully, the Rays can beat the Blue Jays <laughs> in that three game series. And what's weird is the wild card is at the home of the top seed all three games. So. That's going to be an interesting first week of baseball with the Astros being off. They get the time off, which can help them heal and rest and and do everything that they need. The danger is always worried about getting too rusty by being off for more than a week. And if you're not playing your starters for the Philly series, which by that time, they likely won't need to be playing any of their starters, right? It could be just a bunch of guys getting reps that may not even be making the playoff roster. So, Dusty's old school. What do you think his approach is going to be this last week of the season? You know, I I really think he's going to they're they're going to go with the way they normally do things. If if guys are feeling good and they want to play, you know, what what I would do is I would play my starters innings 1 through 5 and then bring in the other guys innings 6 through 9. I mean, let them let them all get reps. Um I'll be curious to see how often Hunter Brown gets in. You know, gosh, he came in against the Orioles, got into a bases-loaded situation, and got out of it without giving up a run. That was a big boy moment for him. Yep. And, you know, just continue. You know, let me tell you the silver lining in Framber's last non-quality start where he broke his streak, and Eric made this point on the show the other day, we would rather him stop his quality start streak and begin a new one instead of having like 27 or 28 games going into the playoffs and then have a stinker in the playoffs. So he got that he got that out of his system. Now he can refocus. And I think for Frember Valdez, that makes him a stronger weapon. Um, going forward, I think they stick with the regular rest days. You may see more Vasquez behind the plate. I would give Vasquez more reps behind the plate just because Martin Maldonado getting rest before the playoffs I think is key. And it's it's unlike, you know, a pitcher in the rotation who needs to stay fresh. Martin's been used a lot and he deserves some days off. But hey, fun fact, when the when Martin Maldonado hits a home run, the Astros are seventeen and zero when he hits a home run. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> Which players in the lineup do you feel like need to get as many reps as possible between now and the end of the regular season? I think Diaz and McCormick, um, if they are going to put Hensley on this roster, which I don't know, I'm just I'm just kind of throwing that out there. He needs to be out there, and I think I think Vasquez and Mancini. I think if you're going to utilize those guys, and those guys are going to be max, you know, help in the playoffs, they've got to be in a groove, and you you can't get in a groove playing every three or four games. Um, you only you, you don't even have that many games left, so why not let those guys play? The starters probably wouldn't mind it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the guys like Altuve and Bregman, and you know, Payne got banged up on his on his amazing Pete Rose slide attempt the other day, and so it would it, it would do some good to give those four guys, I think, as 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 many swings and at bats in the playoffs because it looks like McCormick's going to be someone who's going to be in there quite a bit. And, you know, Diaz. I said it before, he's going to have some key playoff moments this year. We're talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, I'm starting to see some people talk about this. We only got a week 
in, well, we only have eight days left in the regular season. What's the pitching rotation going to be like? Is it going to be Verlander McCullers Valdez, or is Framer going to still man that two spot for the playoffs? I I would not. I would I would stick with with Valdez after Verlander. I I really like Verlander Valdez McCullers, and in the ALDS, you may not need your fourth starter, <laughs> but that fourth starter I think absolutely has to be. Christian Javier, the way he's pitched consistently over the season. Um, and then after that, the ALCS, it may change. Um, but I think Javier's your fourth guy. I think McCullers is your third guy. But I think that's great because with McCullers pitching as well as he is, he, when he's your third starter, that's just an, an intimidation factor right there because everybody knows his reputation in the playoffs. Now, if you're doing that, that means Jose Arquiti, despite all that World Series experience, isn't on the roster then, right? Jose Arquiti <clears throat> may be left off the roster. I would I would be surprised if they put someone like a Kevin Brown instead of Arquiti. But to me, if you leave Arquiti off the ALDS roster, you absolutely have him on the ALCS and on the World Series roster. Okay. So that that's my thinking there. And – Again, we literally have seven guys that could be legitimate starters on any club. Yes. So that is – you want to talk about having a great problem with too many pitchers. I, I don't know how many teams have had that. I mean, maybe the 1990s Braves and their amazing rotations. We all know those teams. I mean, those teams are legendary. But you have that luxury. And I don't think that any one of these players – would be put in a bad position or would dislike it if they were like, hey, for this series, this is what we need you to do or not do. And I I think they're such a cohesive team. No matter who you throw out there, you're going to get their best. So, Urquidy, you would just say for the ALCS and possibly the World Series, you mentioned Brown, the Rook. Do we expect him to, to get a, a start maybe in this last week, maybe against the Phillies and get him another starter? Do you think they don't want to have him burn up all those innings and just use him as a reliever? You know, because he came in so late in the season, that wouldn't be a bad choice if it comes up because I'm not looking at the calendar and and all the games. I'd have to sit down and figure it out. But if it comes up where where you have the spot with like Justin Verlander going or – Remember Valdez going one of the last two games. I don't see why you couldn't put Hunter Brown in that starting position. You know, um, that to me would would make sense. Give him another chance to start. But then again, if they've put him in full bullpen mode, then they probably will just leave him in a bullpen, more like a bullpen type game piggyback start. Because again, I saw him do that multiple times this year. Come in the fourth inning or fifth inning and just finish out the game. Yeah, and if you've already got him kind of set in, like you mentioned, Brett, the bullpen mode, you don't want to kind of throw him off by going to be a starter again, right? Because he's still a young guy. He's a rookie. So you you want to try to put him in the best possible situation to succeed. If you believe that's going to be a guy that's going to eat up middle innings for you, you probably don't throw him out there to start again. Maybe you just let Urquidy and one of the other guys that aren't going to make the rotation for the ALDS, let them eat up those innings the last couple starts of the season. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? Jose Arquiti could could get a start could get a start towards the end, 
and he comes out and his lights out, and that may change their game plan. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you know, Eric and I have been talking about when do we do the playoff roster show? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, do we wait until the last game against Philadelphia? Because there's so many moving parts to this. And, um, gosh, I'm, I, I couldn't be more excited. I think I'm more excited about this postseason than any postseason that I've ever been a part of in Astros history. Let me ask you this. The wild card is still to be determined. It looks like it's going to be Toronto, Tampa, and Seattle, right? That's what it looks like, especially with the Strohs splitting the series against Baltimore and kind of keeping them at bay behind Seattle. But of of, of those teams, who scares you the most? The teams that scare me the most out of those wild card teams would have to be absolutely the Blue Jays. I'm I'm not I'm not at all worried about the Astros facing the Mariners. We, um, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but we pretty much own that franchise. Yeah, um, but, but Tampa, Brett, this season, though, they went toe-to-toe with you guys and was pretty much even down for most of, the, most of the matchups. They did. They did. I agree. But I think when you put us in a playoff series with the amount of resources we have versus what they have, I think, I think the Astros fare – much better against the Mariners and much better against the Rays. They have a losing record against the against the Blue Jays and the Orioles. That's the only two playoff teams that they have a losing record to. Um, but again, like I said, so I'm most worried. I don't want George Springer hitting Springer dingers in the postseason at Minute Maid Park. I don't want to see that. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I'm because really, it, that is Sands right now, you guys would play the winner of the Tampa Bay Toronto wildcard series. Yes, sir. That is correct. Yeah. And, but, you know, and that's the thing. All three games are in Toronto. So that's going to be a tough battle. But I think either way, no matter who we face, we have the advantage because they have to rearrange their starting pitching according to what they have to do in the series. And if it goes all three games, that really causes a, a you know, a different strategy or a different approach facing the Astros. But I'm telling you, don't be surprised if on the other side of the bracket that the Cleveland Guardians don't come out of nowhere and just start punching people in the mouth. That's a team that could sneak up on you, and they also worry me. Yeah, right now it would stand Seattle would take the final wild card spot. They would play Cleveland, who won the Central in the wild card round, and then the winner of that game would play the Yankees as the two seed in the divisional series. So, Lots of baseball still left. We got eight days of the regular season. Brett, brother, appreciate your time as always. And we'll talk to you next Tuesday as we gear up for the regular season finale. Yes, sir. Thank you all. For everyone in, in Louisiana, thank you for checking us out on YouTube, on Apple, Google, Spotify. Remember, we're your team every day. We're locked on Astros. So get locked into the playoffs with us. Y'all have a good one and go Strohs. That's Brett Chancy of the Locked on Astros podcast joining us talking all things Strohs. Yeah, he he doesn't want any part of Toronto. <laughs> that's going to be tough. I mean, that's going to be a tough ALDS for the Strohs. Winner of Tampa Bay, Toronto. Oof. American League's going to be tough, man. Going to be tough. We got to take a time out when we return. Coach Dez, the man in charge of Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will be joining us. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 180! What's up? Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermilion and White. Woo!
It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Dez. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you doing on this chilly Tuesday morning, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing well. How are you? It finally feels like football weather, don't it? It does. That's right. There we go, man. There we go. All right, let's let's get to it. Obviously, disappointing result for the team up in Monroe. When we talked last week, you, ta- you you spoke about the challenges that Terry Bowden's team was going to present itself. It's gonna, it's a rivalry game. It's a conference game. It's a divisional game. You know, now that you've had time to look over the tape and kind of a couple of days removed from it, what happened up there against ULM, and what are you guys doing to kind of fix that moving forward? Well, I mean, I think if you watch it, I think it's pretty obvious. You know, we we really made some very uncharacteristic mistakes that were just, you know, critical in the game. And, you know, I mean, things that just kind of that, that don't happen really very often, haven't seen happen with our team since fall camp started, you know, and some of those miscues, I mean, it's too much to overcome. You know, I mean, you fumble when you get inside, close down to the 30-yard line inside the fringe, getting ready to at least have points on a field goal. You know, you have a bad operational field goal and a punt snap. Uh, you know, defensively, you play well, you give up two explosives for touchdowns and, you know, huge plays for touchdowns that are explosive. Uh, you know, and, and you just, I mean, those are the things that, you know, we typically have not done, you know, turn the ball over and doing those types of things that just kind of blow up in your face, you know. I mean, you can live with some of the mistakes in and out of there. I mean, you're not going to operate perfect. It's not all going to be exactly the way you want it. But, you know, those things, uh, those are things that we've avoided. And then Saturday, it's just, you know, they just kind of showed up really just, you know, back to back to back a little bit right there in the second half. So, um, you know, I mean, I think you can make it a big issue and you can, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, you go and you can freak out and you can act like the sky is falling or you just go back to work and keep doing it. I mean, we put our kids in pressure situations. We put them in, in situations where they've got to go out there and compete and perform. And there are things on the line and we'll continue to do that. And you know, they'll continue to play. They'll continue to play well. And they'll continue to, you know, move forward from this thing. And, you know, we just got to finish, you know, when you get down in those situations and you have an opportunity to put a game away and everybody's got a job to do. We just got to work a little bit harder at, at doing our job a little bit better. You know, you bring up the, the not panicking thing, and, and even though you guys have veteran players on this team and guys with experience, you also have a lot of guys getting experience for the first time as starters, Coach, right? And they're in these and they're in these situations for the very first time, and it's one thing to practice. It's another thing to be in an in-game scenario. So how key is it for you as the head man and your staff not to panic and not to have you know the sky is falling type of approach especially with these young guys that you're still developing into you know week in week out starters at this level well I mean first of all we're only four games into the year you know and and I get everybody you know that's a panic reaction is just something that's not going to benefit you at all and really there's not you know it never does but right now we have eight games, regular season games left in the season to get this thing the way that we want it. And, you know, I mean, the fan, you know, sometimes the approach from the outside, you know, with people just kind of casually watching is, you know, oh, this is it, that's the end, that's fine. Um, but when you're in the fight like we are, you, you know, you got to make adjustments, fix it, and you got to go back to work and overcome it. And, you know, I mean, for us as a coaching staff, you know, if we come in here and, and we change the way we are, we're, you know, yelling at them and screaming and, 
you know, we completely change our personality and the way that we look at it. And you know, all of a sudden we just start scrapping everything we've done. Well, you know, the kids are just, I mean, they're going to feel it and sense it. And then everything that they've done to that point, they're going to feel like wasn't important because all of a sudden when something doesn't go your way, you scrap it. And that's just not the way that it is. Um, when, you know, when you have a pro and you have, you have a goal in mind, you know, you have to work the process every day. And if you get consumed with results only, um, you know, you can lose your way. But for us, I know that what we do works and I've been here and I've seen it. And right now we're not getting the results that we want, but it doesn't mean that what we're doing is wrong. We just got to continue to work at it. We got to get better at working the process. Speaking of that, offensively you guys have shown flashes of what you want to do and no talking to you and listening to you 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 have a vision of what you want your offense to look like and you guys have had flashes of that through the first four games coach but the whole thing is just consistency right do you feel like you guys are getting closer as a unit offensive line running back quarterback wide receiver tight end that entire group you guys feel like you're getting closer to getting to the point where you're a consistent, effective offense? Yeah, I mean, I do. I feel like we're getting closer. <laughs> you never, I mean, you're never exactly where you want to be, and especially week four in the season, you're not. Uh, but for us, yeah, I mean, we, we are getting a little bit closer. You know, we're doing some things a lot better on tape that you're happy that you see. Uh, you know, having two turnovers, that that's like, you know, completely not what we want to be. And, you know, and, there are just times where there's just not enough. We had too many plays. You know, for us, we consider on first down four yards efficient. You know, and then on second down, you want to get half of whatever the yardage is back. And then on third down, certainly you need to con- convert. And, you know, you're looking for, you know, efficiency. You know, you're trying to have efficient plays every in every drive, and that's what you want. And there's just too many. Um, it's not just plays that aren't efficient but there's too many negative plays that are just like a step backwards. And those are the things that are hard to overcome. Um, I thought last weekend we overcame a lot of them, truthfully. And on third downs, we were, you know, we did a pretty good job on third downs on conversion downs. Um, but we got to quit putting ourselves in those positions, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you look at it, you got to drive going. The next thing you know, you get dropped for minus two or minus three. And, you know, now you're second and 13 and it's, you know, that, that's, a, that's a tough deal, second and 13, and try to chip away and get it back. So, you know, for us, it's just we've, we've got to continue to be more consistent. I do think we're getting better. Um, you know, you see flashes of it, and I do on tape, and there's a lot of times you look at it, you're like, all right, this is what we want to be. But it's just got to be, it's got to be way more consistent than what we are right now. Defensively, how do you like where your defense is at through four games into this season, Coach? I mean, I really like the way they're playing, you know, and you go back and you watch the tape from Saturday, and I, truthfully, I mean, I, I feel I feel bad for those guys on, on defense. I mean, you know, 164 yards of offense were only on two plays, and don't get me wrong, I mean, it was, it's fixable. It's things that, you know, it's things that shouldn't have happened. You got to get guys on the ground. You got to be where you're supposed to be. But, you know, we made two mistakes on those plays, and it's 164 yards of, of offense. Uh you know, they get the ball on the eight-yard line one time. Um, you know, Monroe's offense does. You know, I mean, that's a tough situation to be in. But, you know, those guys are flying around. Um, you know, they're, they're playing really aggressive. Uh, I thought we did a really good job. I thought we contested catches in the last game. I thought we, you know, we really made it 
more difficult for them. We played the perimeter well, which we thought that was going to be a big part of their game plan. Um, you know, we do need to tackle a little bit better. Uh, and throughout last week, we had some guys that were out that couldn't, that were no contact for practice last week, uh, just for, you know, some minor injuries and things like that. But I do think that shows up, you know, and that's what we talked about with them is, look, you know, I get it, you're hurt, you know, you can't be in contact, but, you know, you, you got to try to get back at some point during the week and try to get back into some contact where you can have a little bit of it because, you know, tackling is a, it's a, a habit that you got to continue to work and it's a it's a skill set that you can't just not do so you know I think that maybe played a little bit of a part in there with uh, some of the missed tackles but I'm, I've been pleased with them man they're they're competing their tails off they're keeping us in games um, you know and you know they just they've been putting a couple of tough spots you know the rice game offensively we put them in some really bad spots and then you know the Monroe game you know the special team stuff really kind of put them in a bad spot too We'll wrap it up with this, Coach. You got a quality opponent. Should be a dogfight Saturday there at Cajun Field, South Alabama. Jaguars-Cajun, that's developing into quite the football rivalry now. It's going to be homecoming uh, additionally to that. You know, I know you've already started looking at the tape. What are some of the challenges that Kane Womack's team is going to present your squad when they come into Cajun Field on Saturday? Yeah, they're, they're a really good football team. Um Defensively, you know, up front, their front seven's really good. Their D line, I think, is, I think, is really good. Uh, you know, great inside play. You know, their edge guys are, are, are long, can run. Um, active pass rushers, they do a good job in the run game. They're physical. At linebacker, they've got guys that can run and strike. And then on the back end, I think they've got two really good corners that uh, that are long. They're not scared to press and play man. They'll contest a lot of things. And at safety, their safeties are active in the run game. I think they have a really really good defense offensively you know their um their quarterback that they've got in there now does a really good job he gets the ball he runs the offense the way it's supposed to be run now you can tell he's throwing the rpos when it's supposed to be thrown um you know he, he's done a done a really good job getting in there and playing they've always had good receivers he's getting them the ball and then now they're running the ball better on offense so you know it's um it's it's a challenge for sure you know i mean it's a really good football team i think kind of what you kind of grow accustomed to a little bit in our conference is that every week, I mean, there is no, there is no step back and, or, you know, no step back and kind of look around. I mean, you, you better just kind of plow into it head on. And right now, you know, that's where we're at, right. You know, we kind of come off of a, off of a couple of games that you didn't play the way you wanted to play. And now you got to go out there. You got to go forward. You got to move on. We've got homecoming, which is a great opportunity. Um, you know, it's always special for homecoming. You get to celebrate the people that came before you. Um, you know, you get to kind of show a little bit of gratitude for the things they did to help you get here. And, you know, you just kind of uh, get to go out there and go play in front of your crowd again. So we're excited about that opportunity. Um, you know, and, and certainly South Alabama's a really, you know, really good football team coming in here. And, um, you know, no better time for us to play our best ball than now. Coach? Appreciate your time, as always, brother. Best of luck on Saturday, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you, Raymond. It's Coach Dez, charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. His team's 2-2 two and two on the season, looking to get back on track. Homecoming will be this Saturday at Cajun Field when the South Alabama Jaguars come to town. You know, he talked about being focused and being disciplined and doing all the right things. Got to take a moment here before we take the time out to brag on my daughter. So, she's all about third grade. She's embracing the challenges, 
all the other type of extracurricular activities. There's They have this thing where you can sign up to be part of this leadership team and have responsibilities. So she wants to do it all. And you have to fill out like little essays on why you would do it and what you would do with it. So we turn that in on Monday, and they're going to pick who's going to be part of that. But she's also doing really well in school. We got the progress report. Killing it, as expected. But this kid last night. So it's bedtime. It's getting ready to be bedtime. And typically what she does is gets a little bit of a cartoon, has a snack and some milk before she goes to bed. And then I go tuck her in. That's usually our routine. Well, I come out, and she wants to get caught up on some stuff, get ahead on some things with class. And you can work on stuff digitally now because, you know, it's 2022. Work on the computer, do all this other stuff. So I'm thinking, I'm going to go take a shower. When I come out, she'll be ready to go and be focused on cartoon time and, you know, having snack and everything. Nah. Focused. Laser focused, right there. Didn't want to take the computer to the bedroom, everything. She's right there in the living room working on like additional work for school. And I just look at her and my wife, I was like, and I look at my, my daughter, I'm going to go, I go, baby girl, I'll go, you want daddy to get your, you know, your milk and your snack? And she goes, daddy, I'm, I'm focusing on this right now. Like, not worried about the cartoon, not worried about the snack, not worried about any of that. She's laser focused on killing it with some of the schoolwork i couldn't be prouder couldn't be prouder yeah she could have checked out no she's focused she wants to get better grades she wants to get do good and wants to get caught up boom i wish i had that focus when i was in the third grade she's so much smarter than i was (laughs) yeah a future in sports talk radio probably not in her forte she's going to be probably doing something else so had to give her a bit of a shout out proud of baby girl She's putting in the work. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're talking a little LSU football. Update that poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Delta Home Center and Trailer Sales, your one-stop shop for utility and cargo trailers, heavy-duty dump and gooseneck trailers, portable buildings, cabins, decks, porches, fences, metal carports, site-built metal shops, and mobile homes. Located at Exit 7 in Caracro or at deltatrailersales.com. The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station has a brand new text club, and we want you to become a member. To join the club, simply text GAME to 337-283-8100. That's GAME to 337-283-8100. You'll be the first to know about our latest contests, prizes, and anything that's going on with the game. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana. And look, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. And as you've heard me tell you over and over again, Lafayette Marble and Granite, they provide more than just those show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and more importantly, no stinky odor from the grout. 
Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products Chris and his team have to offer. Live inventory is updated, guess what, every Wednesday. You could just visit their website, lmgelite.com, or stop by their soon-to-be fully renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot, Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Let's talk a little LSU football here while we have some time. Brian Kelly's team, after losing the opener in tough fashion, it was an ugly game, let's be honest. The All-State Louisiana kickoff was not pretty. But Florida State has gone on to not lose a game. They're 4-0. They're ranked in the top 25 now. Looks like Norville's turned things around with the Seminoles. Brian Kelly, well, he's guided his team to three straight wins. A route of Southern, taking down the air raid offense of Mike Leach in Mississippi State, and then shutting out New Mexico, the Lobos, last week. This week, they get to travel to the Plains to take on the Auburn Tigers slash War Eagles slash Plainsmen. Their head coach is embattled. Reports were if they would have lost to Missouri last week, he would have been fired. They tried to fire him in the offseason. And they really want to fire him. Auburn is an absolute mess right now. But this series has proven over the years to be one of the weirdest and kookiest in the SEC. It always comes down to something weird when Auburn and LSU play. Every time. Bizarre field goals where wind comes in and blows them off course. Weird plays, closer-than-expected games. When one team's the favorite by double digits, it ends up being a one-point game. It's a weird series, and it's one of the better rivalry series for LSU because it's always exciting. It's always entertaining, to say the least. That's who they'll have to play this week, looking to improve to 4-1 on the season, 2-0 in SEC play because Auburn's really the last kind of game that you look on the schedule for LSU and you go oh that could be a win because everything else is going to be a fight Tennessee comes to town 11 a.m kick they're ranked in the top 10 Josh Heupel's done a nice job with the volunteers the week after you travel to Gainesville to take on Billy Napier and the Florida Gators that's a team trying to rebuild two two teams very similar Right, Billy Napier and Brian Kelly at LSU, they're trying to do the same things, rebuild those once-proud programs. That's good. That's a coin flip game. Then back at home on the 22nd against an undefeated Ole Miss team that's coming off a 10-win season. Then you get the bye, and then, by the way, you start off November with Bama. Not to mention Arkansas and Texas A&M still on the, the, the schedule as well for November. So Auburn is the last of those games where you go, okay, this should be a game that LSU should win. They're favored to win. And this could really help propel them for the rest of the season. Yesterday, Brian Kelly held his weekly press conference. And he admitted, look, he's proud of the progress that they've made since the season opener. But you know what? They still got work to do, especially with the SEC slate of games remaining on the schedule. 
we've been able to to make the progress necessary to um, to have a modest winning streak, and this is modest. Um, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. This month will tell us a lot, right? We've got an SEC slate in front of us uh, over the next four weeks, which will challenge us to a new level, and we'll certainly find out even more about you know our grit and you know what kind of football team this will continue to grow to be. Uh, we know where our our issues are. It's a team that will fight, but we're we're thin in some areas, and so we've got to, um, you know, we've got to make sure we keep our team rested. We, we've got to stay away from injuries, uh, things of that nature. Got to stay away of injuries. That's going to be the troublesome part, because you got some guys. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback, got banged up in the game against New Mexico. Jay Ward, when's he coming back? He could be out for a little while. Uh, Marnie Goodwin, the running back, could be out. So they got some guys that are nursing some injuries that they're going to need for the gauntlet that is the SEC schedule. Kelly gave us an update on those guys. Jaden, no no residual effect uh, from from Saturday. He he'll be he'll be able to practice. Uh, let's see, Jay Ward feeling really good. I, th- I think he's a go for Tuesday. Um, we'll probably limit his workload on Tuesday, but he should be able to go. Uh, Amani, um, it'll be a day-to-day situation with him. That tells me that you're probably not going to have him for the Auburn game. If he's day-to-day and it's a road trip, you're probably not going to have him. Just saying. I don't think that's how that's going to work for them. Now, they've been able to reshuffle their offensive line, and it's worked out pretty well for them, especially with bringing in the transfer, Charles Turner, and they look like they found something with him at center, and Kelly talked about what he can bring. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question. First of all, he's a great communicator. He knows what he's doing up front. He is getting people in the right place. But it's going to get harder. <laughs> it's going to get harder. Uh, the competition uh, is is going to be uh, such that, that he's going to be uh, in the mix each and every week. So he knows, um, and he's up for the challenge. Uh, but, again, I, I think we're putting him in a situation where he's got two guards next to him that are big guys big physical guys and the center is always working in combinations so you know most centers today are not you know the biggest you know they're usually the smartest and they're usually guys that can move and and Charles can do those things for us sorry Charles is is not the transfer Charles has been with the program for a little while but he's developing now manning that offensive line for the Tigers and they've seemed to kind of figure things out right Now, once again, it's against Mississippi State, New Mexico, Southern. It's only going to get tougher, but I like LSU's chances to win on the road in the Plains on Saturday to improve to 4-1 overall. That would likely propel them into the top 25. And then you never do know. Weird 11 a.m. kick the following week against Tennessee. We'll see what happens. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll wrap up hour number two with the poll question of the day. Share your comments. That's all next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. (music) 
Poll question of the day. Oh, here we go. Poll question of the day. It's the favorite part of the show when the great Gazzolo fills in. He loves the poll question of the day. We asked you, are you buying into the New Orleans Pelicans hype? Are you believing they're a Pelican instead of a Pelican? That's what really what we're asking here. Right now, leading the vote. And by the way, don't you ever change. 35% of you say, who cares? Football. <laughs> 29% say, yes, this is the season. 22% of you say, maybe their health, though. And 14% say, no, not buying it. Let's get to some comments. Brad on Twitter says, prophetic. I was writing in, who cares? It's football. The second you said the question, had to laugh when you revealed that option. Oh, man. Ton on Twitter says, all about staying healthy. Zion needs a full healthy season. We know they're hungry. The question is, can they eat at the big table? Darren says, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, says, they didn't add anything. They had the same team plus Zion, and they look like they played better without him than with him. Ton says, they had to. Dude had missed more than he's played. I want to see how the team plays with him healthy. If it's a step back, then I'll be all for trading him. Darren then replies, so you pay a dude all that money just to see if he can stay healthy and fit in? I would have traded him. Time wasted. Players getting old. Players move on, waiting on one man. Either you fit in or you fit out. And of course, I replied to Darren saying, we may change his name from number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company to number one Zion hater of RP3 and company. And I think Darren would be happy with that. Hart on Twitter says, with less time together chemistry, they made the playoffs last year and gave one of the best teams all they could handle. Now they're adding Zion in the best shape he's ever been into the mix. I can't wait for this season. Ralph Bergeron says, I will have been through 24 pots of gumbo, 10 sacks of crawfish, World Series, Thanksgiving, Christmas, 30 Jameis Winston interceptions, 14 more foot rants, New Year's, Super Bowl, and Mardi Gras before I start caring about the Pels. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ralph. Ralph says, posting a Pels poll question three weeks into football season, guessing Louis Prejean must have hijacked the Twitter account. I'm 99% sure. Jacques Swallow says, flock up. He's ready. And Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie, says, I'm new to NBA fandom thanks to Mr. Extraordinaire Louis Prejean two seasons back. As long as we're not mathematically eliminated yet, let's go. Keep those votes coming for the poll question of the day. Keep those thoughts coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, how are we going to top two great hours of sports talk? The legend. The great one. The man who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show. The man who covers the Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. Guest host extraordinaire Jim Gazzolo live in the studio with yours truly. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning.
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, it's about time we class the place up. I mean, really. When you're dealing with me on the air all the time and producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, you're thinking to yourself, you know, hey, it's a good product. It's a good show, but got to class it up a little bit. Well, that's why we turn to the Chuck. Joining us here live in the studio, the man that's the host of the McNeese Coaches Show. He is also the host of several other shows, including a tremendous television product in Lake Charles with the McNeese Cowboys. He's also the Lake Charles American Press beat reporter covering McNeese. When other entities in the media don't show up, you know who's there? Our next guest. Jim Gazzolo joins us live in the studio. The great one. How are you, bud? Lucky me. (laughs) Lucky me. Anyhow, I'm, I'm actually a little uh, little morning sun blinded coming in. I forgot my sunglasses at home, and it was a couple of trucks that almost uh, joined me at the hip. Oh, <laughs> that that would not have been optimal for your appearance <laughs> no, live in the been. studio today, but I would have uh, made the news show, Parson. Yeah, you would have for all the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. All right, so look, Division Two opponent. I get it, but. It's a program that needed a win, a coach that needed a win, and a city that needed a win. How big of a deal was it for them to not only get the win on Saturday against Mississippi College, but to kind of, you know, rough up the Choctaws? Well, it was optimal because if the other would have been. Ugh. <laughs> if you would have lost that game, I, I believe I said they would have had to go to the witness protection program. So uh, you had to win that game. I, I think everybody agrees with that. How they won it. At times it was messy, uh, but I think the key was they, they kind of learned an identity that they're a running football team moving forward, and that's what they do best. Yes. And, and maybe maybe now we can say that's where we're going to go. But I, I try to explain to people, you're in a two-fold situation. We're really seeing the the not the building up or the rebuild. We're seeing the breakdown the, the year before the rebuild. Yes. Where you kind of clear out everything and it's ugly I I could say I I call it kind of the making of the sausage well he's he's (laughs) he's being forced to take it down to the studs and you and you and I uh, have talked about this we talked about it a couple weeks ago at the game against Alcorn State that that game kind of showed us and I think it showed everyone this is going to take a while this is not an easy fix I think we were lulled into well, they've been they're struggling because of the hurricanes and 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 they you know they had issues. No, well, this program was trending downward before the hurricanes yes. occurred. You had a revolving door of coaches. Yes, many of them did not recruit well. Yes, many of them were not organized. <laughs> yes, and you you saw it. And golf's not only taking over a program that was damaged by two hurricanes. He's taking over a program that had to deal with APR. He's taking over a program that had to deal That's- with. Bad recruiting, so he's he's stripping it down. He's bought the house, he's gutting it down to the studs, and is going to rebuild it. Yeah, I mean, you don't even need me here for this. <laughs> you've per- you've perfectly done it. I can go home now. No, I, yeah, I think I think what people don't understand is this: 
they could have gone six and five for the next five years because they they were you know they were a kicker away from wins they were yep. a player two away from wins they could have kept what was around and been six and five but that you're not gonna that's not where they want to be that's not where they should be so you have to go and blow it up and we're blowing it up yeah instead of just treading water yeah you you're trying to do something that brings it back to when McNeese was the best program in the Southland Conference and kind yeah. of set the bar. And they haven't been that way for no. a while. But if you want to do that, you have to make some tough choices. I'm glad you pointed out that they kind of found their identity. He is known, he comes from the How Mummy Mike Leach coaching yes. tree, the air raid offense. What people don't pay attention to because they focus so much on the passing is that you have to have an efficient run game. They can run the football. They struggle in the passing. Oh, mightily. I think they figured it out that, okay, for this year, I can't run my offense the exactly the way I want to run it because I don't have the personnel yet, and they haven't been trained, if you will, to run the offense. We're gonna. This is what we're going to do. We're going to run the football and try to play some defense. Yeah, again, again the, the, when we talked to Goff, and, and I talked to him a lot about a lot of things with this football team, the thing I asked him about is being the play caller considered – and being the offensive coordinator and the head coach. And he said in his in his uh, offensive coordinator days, he would have said, I, I want to throw the ball and run for 360 yards. We win, we lose. It's not my neck. My neck is on the 360 yards. He now says, as you flip the coin on it, I've got to find ways to win because winning is what's on my record, not the 360 yards. And the, the key is now to see what this football team is moving forward. Also, and this is where a lot of people get into it is they're still developing. <laughs> they're yes. still trying to develop not only a culture but an offense. So there's going to be times where they're going to go to, say, the passing game when it doesn't look like they should because they understand this is a developmental year. they got to figure out, is Knox Kadem the quarterback or not? And if not, where do we go to get one next year? So they're going to give him time to either play his way in or play his way out. And so you're going to see some of that. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, they're going to run the football, I think. I also think it you you need to have the guys. It, it, when we think of it, you're like, oh, it's a lost season, and it has a negative connotation. But this is a transitional season, yeah. which would be a nicer way of saying it. I don't think anyone expected this team to compete for the conference championship and get into the FCS playoffs. I, I, I didn't. Well, you're not from Lake Charles. <laughs> If you well, were in Lake Charles, you heard things like ridiculous things like nine and two. But you, if you listen to what Gary had to say, even back in the spring, yeah, you knew it was going to be a work in progress. He he kind of said it. Even he he figured it out early on. Going okay, we have some limitations here. There it, he has what fifty seven, fifty eight, fifty eight new people, fifty eight new people, new guys on the roster. Yeah, it, it's a transition. You got to find out about yourself. And the other part of that. They're going to find out if Knox Kadem can be the guy yeah. long-term to run this offense. But to run this offense, you also have to have reliable pass catchers. And I think the rest of this season when they do, they're going to find out if they have that or not or if they're going to need to put more of an emphasis on recruiting better wide receivers. I think we're finding out. <laughs> How's that? Uh, I, I, think we're, um, I, I think the freshmen, a couple of freshmen have stepped up and played better. I think we're finding out with this group, like everything else, who doesn't fit as much as who does fit. I would agree. And that's that's an important thing. Offensive line, very young. Uh, 
defensive backs are all from FBS programs, so they look actually pretty good until they all started getting hurt. Yeah, they lost the two starting corners in the Alcorn State game yeah, for the rest so of the year. Now what happens with the depth? Who do we who do we move up next? Because now we're moving up people that didn't play. And that's gonna, you know, they're getting incarnate word this week. Um so I and also, you know, we, I you talk about the, the the transfer portal that brought fifteen. But the others are all freshmen and sophomores. Correct. They're playing a lot of freshmen. So we'll take one well, tomorrow's big feature in the American Press, just a little plug for you people out there. Uh is <laughs> is on Rohan Davies' son, Micah Davy. Yes. He doesn't turn 19 until Sunday, which means Saturday night he will be going up against a quarterback five years older than him in Lindsey Scott Jr. That is a huge difference in development, and that's where this program is. They're years away. This is, But we had to do this because I think you and I saw it. We watched it. Sometimes we were horrified by it on the lack of talent that was in the building, and not we're not talking individual guys were good or bad. There's nobody better in, maybe in the country in a, as Isaiah Chambers, but nobody else. What we saw was a lack of depth, but a lack of talent and a lack of development and a lack. And I'll say it as well: the last year with the two seasons under Frank Wilson, you saw a lack of talent, you saw a lack of development. That's absolutely yeah. true. I mean, you saw you could argue West Florida had a better roster. Yeah. And and West Florida ended up winning. Yeah. No, right? no. Yeah. So that was part of it. But the other thing that stood out to me that I think, with the exception of the Alcorn game, where they had bad calls go against them, not to make excuses, you also saw a lack of discipline. Yes. Before. And Gary's culture is not only developing these players, but he's also keeping everyone accountable, one which per- has not been the case. One personal foul in four weeks. Correct. That was one personal foul a half last year. Oh, they came all the time. <laughs> there was 15-yard just- penalties constantly in games yeah. that they should have won, by and the way. They would have won. Yes. With that or a kicker. I mean, let's not let's – this team had no kicker. And it wasn't so much they didn't have kickers. They just brutalized how they used the kickers. Correct. So, I mean, when you're, when you're going in and out – but I, people ask me all the time in the town, when did this? When did we come off the rails? And really, I hate to say this, but you came off the rails in 2002. And I know everybody's like, well, we won some championships and we went to the play. You didn't win a playoff game since 2002. And what happened in 2002? ULL went FBS full all in. McNeese said, hey, we really like being where we're at. We're happy here. We don't mind being the little guys. And everybody just whoop by. And now all of a sudden we sit and you wake up and you're like, who are these guys we're with? Houston Baptist changing his name to Houston Christian. We don't want to be with them. So all of, and, and we didn't do anything to improve our facilities. So what are we? Now we're no longer a power in FCS because we haven't invested. No investment. People passed you by. And the teams that have passed them by, okay, we accepted that UL passed us by because they went a different direction. Let Tech went a different direction. Monroe went a different direction. That's ah, good for them. Well, now Sam Houston has passed you by. Stephen F. Austin has passed you by. Incarnate Word has passed you by. And they've only been in the league five years. Who's next? You're getting passed by by people that you should be doing. Probably has passed them by. Right. I, I, it, I, I would have said Nichols, too, but now Nichols is it's kind of it's kind of regressed a little bit. And that's the thing. But I think the the hopeful thing for folks in the Chuck is that you have a full team now. And when I say that, 
You have a president who plays yes. football there now. Yes. You have an athletic director that is all about winning and changing things around and is committed to spending the money to make and sure. getting you, the money. And getting the money to win. And you have a coach that feels like, and I said this, for the first time in a long time at McNeese, Gary Golf feels like a guy that's committed to sticking around it wants for to like three to four years, which is not an enormous amount of time, but it feels like this is a guy that is wanting to be there. He's not looking for his next job. And everybody Correct. else that walked in that building since Matt Viator walked out has wanted his next job. The, the difference was Daryl Burkell got embarrassed about the APR. And he walked into the room and said, you want out, players, you can go. And 20 of them, the best 20, went. <laughs> but he said, we're going to do it. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to rebuild it right. And I think they would have been ahead of the game a little bit from where they are now, if not for the Hurricanes. But what are you selling? You have no housing in the town. You have, are you going to spend, if you're a kid, are you going to spend four years in that town when you could go somewhere else that isn't destroyed, where the, the, the food and the, and the beverages and all the places are up and running, or are you going to go to a town where you're going to rebuild when it's not your hometown? Now it's starting to rebuild. It starts to look better every time you come over, uh, not just because of your pretty face, but because oh, of, uh, thank you. But uh, the big, bald, and beautiful. But it does. It, it gets better every week because there's investment in the town. There's investment in the school, and you see progress. For the first year, we didn't see any progress. We were all fighting the, the insurance companies. Now you see progress. True. And people are saying, okay, I want to be a part of that. There's renderings of the new uh, press box. I want to be a part of that. People don't want to be a part of, well, we don't have a weight room. We're working out at Barb. No. <laughs> it's, it's tough. That's a tough sell. It's a, it's a tough sell, but it does feel like things are turning around. And I've said it before, this is a transitional year. And also, it's always tough when you're the coach and you take over because you don't have the full year to recruit. Yeah. So he he brings in, as you said, he only took 15 guys from the transfer portal. Yeah. So the majority of the guys are he, guys that he signed out of high school or junior college. So that's the big majority there. And here's the other thing. Now he's building the culture, changing things, and now he'll have a full year of getting into recruiting as well. And he understands recruiting. That's the other part of it. And th this is not a knock on Frank. Frank is an excellent recruiter. He's an excellent recruiter. There's a reason why Ed Orgeron had him at Ole Miss. There's yeah. a reason why Les Miles had him at LSU. There's a reason why Brian Kelly has him as the recruiting coordinator back in Baton Rouge at LSU. The guy can recruit his tail off in the state of Louisiana. But how much time did he actually spend recruiting when you're essentially just trying to find, make sure all the guys are accounted for and you can work out? Like, and, 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 and to be fair to Frank... It, it, there was other responsibilities involved instead of just being the coach. And he never got to see what he didn't have and had to get because Correct. he didn't have springs. He didn't have workouts when everybody else was able to come back with the pandemic and have that workout. Yep. They didn't have facilities. They weren't on campus. So he never really got to say, I need this, I need this. And, and Goss said this interestingly. He says, you know, you, you get numbers and you see numbers and you think, okay, this guy could fill here, this guy could fill here. But then you start to see them, and they, you realize that's not the guy I want to go to war with. That's not the guy I want in my program. And all of a sudden, it's you don't know what you don't have either. And now he's learning. First off, he's got to find out what he doesn't have. And he, does, he doesn't have a lot. We're talking with the great one, Jim Pizzolo from one. the Lake Charles American oh, Press. You'll be able to listen to him tomorrow night.
for the McNeese Coaches Show as uh. we broadcast live from Maplewood Burgers. I want to talk about this week's game because it's Southland Conference opener time. They're going to be on the road at Incarnate Word. They're going to be facing off against a quarterback on his 17th team in six years. And Lindsey... Uh, uh, 17. Let's, let's be right. It's five teams, seven years, okay, three let, different so, levels. So, committed, signed with LSU, transferred out, went JUCO. Went to Missouri. Went to Missouri, then went JUCO. To last chance you. Last chance you. Which apparently it wasn't. Then went to Nichols. <laughs> went to Nichols. And now is that incarnate word? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, five, five. That's, that's. Lindsey Nelson Jr. is older than eight starting quarterbacks in the NFL on Sunday. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> what are the cha- – incarnate word. You'll read that in a column on Sunday. That's a quick plug. <laughs> Won the league. They, they, they have made the transition well. They're staying in the league. Uh, what about this year? What do they bring to the table? And how good is this offense with, with Lindsey Scott Jr. at the helm? Because, you know what, he led – Nichols at the helm and struggled, and you know McNeese even beat him. What one of the times last year? During McNeese, the, well, McNeese beat Incarnate Word last year and beat Nichols right. once. And actually, they lost to Nichols at McNeese in a comeback on the day Lindsey Scott lost his starting job. He got benched in that game. We he got benched, the, and we yeah. never saw him again. Yeah, we never saw him again. So, how good is Incarnate Word? How much of a challenge is this going to be for McNeese? Great home? receivers, probably the best, maybe the best pair of receivers in FCS. And I think that is the that is the separation. The thing about I, I think we, we we lose track of last year with Incarnate Word is how good Cam Ward was. Because if you watch he's Washington, at Washington State, he's at Washington State, and he's yeah. lighting it up. He he's lighting three, up. Yeah. He threw for three eighty at Washington State with his head coach as the offensive coordinator. I think that surprises me is they went defensive coordinator head coach and they still have a, a, a great offense with a new offensive coordinator with a new quarterback, but they have great receivers. And they play a very good system. They've beaten Nevada. They punched uh, uh, Southern Illinois, who was, I think, 12th in the country in the mouth the first week. Uh, they were averaging 50 points a game until they lost their conference opener last week to Southeastern, which was a bit of a surprise. We lost in the last play of the game. Lindsey Scott does things that nobody else in the league as a quarterback does. He can do everything. He can run. He can throw. They've kept him in the pocket a little more this year because he's got the receivers to throw to which is a little different than he had at Nichols, I think. Um, they're going to score points. <laughs> McNeese is going to have to figure out, are we going to try to match them, which could get ugly? Or are we going to be McNeese and figure out we're going to run the ball? Keep the ball away. He did tell me yesterday, he goes, I'm not going to go up there, run 60 times, and let the clock wind down to five seconds before I snap the ball. I'm going to play my game because I'm developing. This is about us. This isn't about them. Uh, so that could get ugly. But the weird thing about McNeese, and this I've said this all along, is this is a chippy game because of what happened. Were you there? You were there last mm-hmm. year for the handshake of yeah. anger, as I yes. call it. Yes. <laughs> And Carnot Ward, for whatever reason, decided they were going to throw on McNeese on McNeese's big day of six months after the, the hurricane, and rub it in, and did. Then went and rubbed it in in uh, the first meeting in uh, San fall. Antonio. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when everybody thought this was going to be another blowout, McNeese came back and really dominated Incarnate Ward at uh, at Lake Charles to give them their only loss last year in the conference. So, I don't know what to expect. I would expect there will be points, and if points 
McNeese can't win a track meet with maybe anybody this year. Not this year. So I, I think if uh, unless we get something out of quarterbacks we haven't seen, I think they got to kind of play it close to the vest and try to keep it as low scoring as they can. He is the great one. Jim uh, Gazzolo covers McNeese for the late Charles American Press. He's also the host of Poke Nation on television. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show on our means, station. It just means I'm basically unemployed. I don't know why you go crazy. <laughs> Thank you for stopping by, brother. Oh, always a pleasure, Raymond. I can't wait to get back out there and see if I can see the light of the sun coming the other direction. Uh, you'd rather have that than watch the NFL for the last three weeks. Woof. Two and one bears. Two and one bears. <laughs> oh, yes, Ness. Your bears are two and one. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The... Party the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game wants to face, help you face your worst nightmares by hooking you up with tickets to one of the top haunted attractions in the country, the 13th Gate. Just text the word GATE to 337-283-8100 so you can win a pair of general admission passes. That's GATE to 337-283-8100. Get your scare on this Halloween season at 13th Gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's check in on the poll question of the day, shall we? We asked you, are you buying into the New Orleans Pelicans hype? We're going to talk more Pelicans when Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights joins us at 830. They had their media day yesterday. Hoop fans are a buzz about the Pelicans being possibly a four seed. I'm not for sure. Are you buying into the New Orleans Pelicans hype? Right now, leading the vote, not surprisingly, because, well... You guys are awesome. <laughs> Leading the vote right now. 36% of you say, who cares football? 29% say, yes, this is the season. 23% of you say, maybe. Their health, though, question mark. And 12% of you say, no, no, not buying it. John Paul Cage and Daddy has chimed in. So, RP3 and Hannah Five Names, I did a little digging for those who don't know how important CJ is after the trade. The Trailblazers only won five games, and the Pels started rolling. Only difference, CJ McCollum. Maybe the Saints should have kept their CJ also. Oh, see, that's a reference to Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Just saying. That's what he's trying to do there. That's clever. That's what I call clever. Clever. Coach Eric Howard has chimed in. The Pelicans are going to be a four to seven seed in the West, which is going to make for a fun year. Most people in Louisiana are going to say it's football season, but when Jay, when Jameis Winston is hot garbage, 
when Jameis Winston slash hot garbage is your quarterback, basketball may be more fun. Whoa, the brutality this morning. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. We got a couple minutes here before we bring on Ollie Cassell. Last night was Monday Night Football, which we recapped Cowboys and Giants. But in the Parch household, I have to keep track of that on the phone because Dancing with the Stars, live on Disney Plus, is now on Mondays, which causes a conflict, and I'm the odd man out, so I watch Monday Night Football on my phone. You, of course, are bowling, but you love the Dancing with the Stars, producer extraordinaire Miss Hannah Five Names. My wife loves it. Week two, it was Elvis night. What'd you think? I think it was it was pretty good. I think they only had three dances that were actually really good, which was Wayne Brady, Charlie D'Amelio, and Trevor Donovan. Those are my three my top three. They were really good. I thought Cheryl should have went home. Cheryl Ladd's dance was just not great. She should not have not a stage. I have no mishaps. problem with the non rhythm ex-convict, desperate half-wife of whatever reality show being sent home. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I mean, I, I figured when I went to look at all the people that were in and look at all their dances, I definitely thought that it was going to be Ch- Teresa and Cheryl, but I didn't know if she was going to be saved twice in a row, and then Len was like, nah, fam. Sorry. Yeah. Cheryl's, yeah. Cheryl's, Cheryl's staying. I'm like, eh. <laughs> he, he, was like two? he was like, nah, nah. No, nah, no. Nah. And the other two had voted for the the reality housewife, the horrible Teresa person. Teresa Judice. Yeah, whatever her name is. I, 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 just having her <laughs> name in my head hurts me. Pains my soul to no end. Uh, but I found that uh, watching the majority of it, okay, glancing at it while I was busy doing other stuff, um, the, the TikTok girl is really, really good. Mm-hmm. She may be the front runner. And the Bachelorette, I don't know their names. Gabby. The, the, there we go. The Bachelorette with one of the, the Russian brothers. Um, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is teaching Raymond about Dancing with the Stars. I, I just know him as one of the Russian brothers. They're twins, I think. Yes. Uh, they're really good, too. But she's a former athlete, right? She's a former cheerleader. Yes, for the NFL. So I, I find that to be – so those are the two I feel that are the best, along with Wayne Brady and the little blonde girl. That's his partner. Name. <laughs> she's, a, she's a former champion. It's like those three through two weeks – now, look, I'm not a dancer by any stretch of the imagination. I have no idea what you know what the differences are in the dances. Just from just my sitting in my recliner, paying attention to football, looking up, the TikTok girl – the Bachelorette with the Russian brother and Wayne Brady with the the T-Tiny Little Blonde Girl. Those are the best. Now, I know everyone loves Selma Blair, and she's dancing beautifully, and she's dealing with her disease, and she's an inspiration. I just don't know if she's going to be able to last I don't the entire so. competition, right? Because I, I think she won't last the whole competition because – I understand she's, you know, persevering through this disease and da, 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 da. like you have this whole MS you know, is what she has. Yes. Right. She has this whole story behind her and like that's great and all, but the only dance that she's gonna be doing well in is gonna be like the waltz and like maybe like the rumba maybe, but like the, Well they, well, they like, danced the, the jailhouse rock last night. Yeah. But she did okay, but she she did okay. But yeah, that's gonna be the thing. And the the other guy that you mentioned that I think could be a dark horse is it, that's the the gentleman that's deaf. 
right? The uh, deaf actor from CODA. Yes, that's right. not who I mentioned. I meant somebody else. But yes, I do like him a lot. I think it's it's another like one of those like great backstory type things. Those are the two that I think had a great backstory. Is Selma, and I think his name is Jonathan. See, and, and, and here's the thing. I, I don't want to watch this show. I watch it because my wife loves it, <laughs> and now we got our daughter watching it. Mm-hmm. But now I know because we've watched it for so long, I know like the dancers. I don't know their yeah. names, but I'm like, oh, yeah, they're good. It's it's stuff like that. So now I, I have to be partially invested. So there we go. Weekly thing now. Loving it. Yes, every Tuesday we'll talk Dancing have, with the Stars. I have Kenneth watching it like during bowling. <laughs> and like I'll go to bowl, and if they're like, I don't, I really don't care for like the whole commentary afterwards. I have my own commentary. I did dance. I did cheer. did gar everything. So I don't care for the commentary at all. I just really, I watch the dance, and then I, wa- I look for the score. So, like, keeping up with the live was just easy for me. I said, Tan, hey, babe, whenever I go to bowl, just keep kissing the, like, the extra 10 seconds, fast forward, while I go bowl. So that I don't listen to their commentary or the backstory. Like, yeah, you had problems dancing. You messed up. Now you're good. It's fine. And and it is co-hosted by Tyra Banks, which is not a bad thing for me. So, no. as I told my wife. Her and Alfonso are kind of, they're a weird match. They're, they're, they're kind they have of a some, weird match. It, 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 I don't know. It's, they have it, times, but I don't think the rhythm's there yet. Yeah, well, we'll wait till like week five, there week we six. There we go. So, Dancing with the Stars every Monday in the Parch household. <laughs> be a great time. I'm ready for this season, though. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk New Orleans Pelicans. Media Day was yesterday. Ali Cassell was there, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. We'll talk all about it next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Pierre the Pelican and the King Cake Baby consider him a close personal friend. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. Or at least a Facebook friend or MySpace friend. Is MySpace still a thing? I wonder what Tom is up to these days. He's desperate. He'd sleep with a meat grinder. Time for some more friendly Pelicans talk on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. That's the fun part of, of basketball is, um, like you said, having a number of guys really that can score 20-plus points on any given night. Um, but then for them understanding the balance of it, like it's going to be some nights that is your night. Uh, it will be nights that, you know, it's one of your teammates. Um, so for me and, and the staff and for, for our group, that's, that's extremely exciting. Willie Green, first year was a wildly successful season at the helm, was able to rally, made some roster changes, and helped guide the New Orleans Pelicans to the playoffs. And they put a scare into one of the big boys, too. Lots of optimism for the Pels, and now you bring back a healthy Zion Williamson, keeping our fingers crossed, to talk more about the optimism around the Pelicans and what the realistic expectations should be for the Pels in a Western Conference that seems kind of in transition a little bit, is our good friend from the Bird Rights, Ali Cassell, joins us now. Ali, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. I've missed our talks. I have too, bud, but I gave you you a break. You know, you 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 were just grinding it out for us, and I felt like you needed to recharge those batteries, and, you know, and now here you are. Now you can put up with all my shenanigans. 
<laughs> yeah, thanks, Herman. I, I actually did. And uh, I had one, I've got three dogs. One of them decided to plow through my left arm about a month, month and a half ago. So I've, I've been on the mend ever since. <laughs> Your whole dog hurt you? Yeah, she got loose. Our youngest one, a, a pit bull, you know, American Staffordshire Terrier, running around the streets. I decided to be a good thing to try and tackle her. Mistake. It's like getting <laughs> hit by a linebacker. <laughs> oh, man, I have we, – we have a um, – uh, our dog is about 60, 65 pounds, pit boxer mix, and she's deaf. So when she gets out, there's no, hey, come, girl, come see. No, no, you have to try to, like, grab her from behind – and tackle her to the ground, and I've fallen in—I've fallen into the ditch, in, into a, a mud puddle from time to time over the last few years, my friend. So I—I feel—I feel your pain. So lots of made, lots was made yesterday about how Zion looked, and and look, we've gone through this before. I, I can't remember the appearance of a star athlete being more scrutinized and people being more obsessed about than Zion Williamson. I can't remember a time where everything he looked like, how he dressed, how he looked, what his weight was, what his muscle tone was, uh, being obsessed about. I, I can't remember an athlete that we've been that obsessed about. No, that's a good point. And it started back, you know, going back to his Duke days. Because, right, especially when after he ripped his foot through the shoe at a game – and the biggest game of the year, right, against North Carolina. Carolina yeah. Barack Obama was in attendance. All eyes were on it. And ever since that time, everybody's just been looking at his weight, right, his powerful frame. Can he sustain the rigors of, you know, an athletics professional season? And so far, honestly, he hasn't, right? So I'm happy to see the way he walked in the gym, as you mentioned um, yesterday. He has definitely put in the work. He finally got serious about being a professional it looks like, right? Not only working out, eating the right things, doing all the right things. And that's something that he hadn't really done previously. So this is, you know, knock on wood, hopefully the start of a brand new era for Zion Williamson, where he's going to be a lot more healthier than he was in the past. We saw the moves that this team made and getting CJ McCollum. He leaves the Blazers. They go into the toilet. He comes to the Pelicans, and it was essentially the magic elixir. He was able to develop rapport with the guys, develop chemistry, provide leadership. Plus, he's just just cool as can be. He's so chill. How important is C.J. McCollum going to be to this franchise this season now with a complete offseason and everything that he was able to be for this team last year? I think he's going to be pretty much as important as either Zion or Brandon Ingram. Wow. Same same, same kind of level as Willie Green, right, to where he influences so much, not just on the court play, but all the stuff that comes with it off of it. But I think he's been a big reason why this team has really become so focused, why it seemed like every player we talked to yesterday talked about how much video they were watching over the offseason. That's not something I've ever heard before from young guys in this league, let alone Pelicans, right? I mean, going back to Anthony Davis, who had been in the league for several years, I didn't hear that from guys like him. But now I'm hearing it from Dyson Daniels, from Zion, from from everybody that's, you know, 22, 21, 20 years of age. So I think that's a direct correlation to having CJ because he is a pro. And he said he's going to come in, talk to these guys, show them how it's done, and really, really lead, right? So he's going to be calling you if you're not responding or if you're not responding to his text or something along those lines. He's going to force you to become a part of the program. 
And we saw that a good example of that was this offseason where he and Brandon Ingram organized some workouts in California. Well, unfortunately, he wasn't able to come because he told us his wife contracted COVID at the same time. But you know what he did? He made sure he was FaceTiming the guys almost every hour on the hour just to be a part of it, but also, you know, just to monitor the group, right? So he's almost acting as though a supervisor, but he, he knows he can't overstep those bounds, right? Because nobody wants to have somebody in their ear constantly. So I think he knows exactly what he's doing, but the guys, they're receiving it properly, right? It's, it's not just in and out, uh, in one ear, out the other. I think they're really taking all of his advice to heart, and I think we're going to see the benefits of all that this season, right? This team's going to be more united, I expect, than we've ever seen before, and a big reason why is going to be because of CJ. B.I. has no problems letting someone else lead. And I, I, and that's not a negative thing. I think sometimes we look at that as a negative thing, Ollie, and I, I don't think it is. I think B.I. is a great number two when it comes to leadership, and C.J. can set the tone. He's the guy, and then B.I. is kind of like the 1B, so to speak, right? And and all the other guys fall in line, Herb Jones, all the other, uh, Jose, all these great other pieces that they have is the biggest obstacle for Willie Green is finding a way to incorporate Zion on the court. I don't care about off-the-court stuff. They'll develop chemistry. They'll work together. I'm not concerned about that. My bigger concern is, is Zion going to stay healthy and how you incorporate him into style of play that they played last year when they made it to the playoffs and played well? I don't think so. And I think that's the beauty about Zion. From everybody I've talked to, including everybody, you know, yesterday, Trajan Langdon, David Griffin, of course, Willie Green, talking about this, you know, this exact fact of trying to integrate him. They don't expect any problems. Why? Because Zion is selfless. Because he's a guy that doesn't command the ball. He doesn't need those 30 touches, say like a Carmelo Anthony when he was in his prime or somebody along those lines. He loves just to be a part of, you know, within the flow of the offense type of guy. And, and that goes back to his Duke days. I mean, I heard this from Coach K, and you could just see it when he was on the court, right? He had no problems sharing the ball with R.J. Barrett with all of his teammates while at Duke. And that was, again, the same thing here with the Pelicans. First season, who was running, basically having control of the uh, ball during important touches, was Drew Holiday in his rookie season. Last year, you know, he got a lot more attention, but they put him in that spot, right? They made him point guard Zion. So I don't think there's going to be any kind of bridge needing to be crossed, right, to get him integrated with his teammates. I think that's going to be seamless. I think what they're going to have to do is figure out on who's going to basically run the ship um, and at what time during the game. And all three of those guys, right, CJ, behind Zion indicated, we've got to get on the same page on who's going to come out aggressively, who likes to be aggressive at what points of the game, where do I like my touches on the floor? So it's, it's basically just the intricacies, right, of the game, within the flow of the game that they've got to figure out. But as far as just integrating, you know, a 27-point score, no, nah, I don't think that's going to be an issue in itself. Give me a little bit of insight here. How is this starting five going to look, and how is the rotation going to look as it stands right now as they start gearing up for camp and gearing up for the preseason? Yeah, I think the starters, I think everybody knows, right? Go back to last year, what worked. And what Willie Green loved was CJ, B.I., Herb, Jonas Valanciunas. The fifth piece was the alternating piece that was Jackson Hayes down the stretch usually filling in for Zion Williamson. So Zion's going to be your fifth, obviously. Coming off the bench, this is where it gets interesting to me, Raymond. I know that you can pencil in Larry Nance for minutes, Trey Murphy, and, and Jose Alvarado. But after that, it's a complete toss-up. 
And that was the biggest message I got out of outside of, you know, the way Zion looked was that this camp, this preseason is going to be so competitive. And at minutes, they're not guaranteed. So guys like Jackson Hayes, Devontae Graham, who have gotten minutes, um, whether it was just, you know, 15 to 20 minute roll or even more, that's not even guaranteed this season anymore because there's guys coming up like Billy Hernan Gomez. They, everybody we talked to couldn't stop glowing about the performance he had over the summer with Spain in winning the MVP at Eurobasket, helping them win a gold medal. And his play looked outstanding. So if Jackson Hayes at all is still kind of unsure of, you know, fundamentals of taking a playoff or two, Billy's going to play instead of Jackson. Same thing with uh, Devontae Graham. I think Dyson Daniels might be ready to play now because that's one thing that stood out for me was Willie Green, Trajan Langdon. They talked about how this kid can just come right in and fit in because he already has a great knowledge of the game. He can do so many things on the court now, and he's physically mature. And who does that remind you of? Kind of like Herb Jones to me. So I think if Devontae is at all suffering from confidence issues and, and his biggest thing he brings to the court, shooting the ball, if that's not there, then he's not going to be seeing rotation minutes. So – that's going to be the biggest test for Willie Green. It's not going to be integrating Zion. I think it's going to be figuring out the rotations, but also making sure that everybody's happy, even if they're not playing. Well, brother, I know you're always happy. you got a positive attitude. It does feel like there's some good buzz building for the Pelicans. Can't wait to go down there and catch a couple of games, and you and I can catch up in person. We'll have you back on sooner than later, my friend. Enjoy the rest of your week, bud. Absolutely. You do the same, Raymond. And I'll tell you what, this weather today, finally the humidity's gone. I think we're all going to be loving it. (laughs) Yes, sir. Have a great day, brother. Thanks. We got to take a timeout. Our final one of today's show. When we come back, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and we'll get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. That's going to be next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Uh, Just a reminder, the Astros are looking to lock up home field advantage throughout the American League playoffs. Magic numbers down to two. They'll look to take a step in that direction tonight when they take on the Arizona Diamondbacks. First pitch is set for 7-10, and you can listen to it live right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Final results of the poll question of the day. Are you buying into the New Orleans Pelicans hype? 34% of you say, who cares? football 29% say yes this is the season 25% say maybe their health though and 12% say not buying it want to take a moment to thank our guest Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast coach Dez with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns the great one Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press and Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights that'll do it for today we'll be back on tomorrow six to nine for the producer extraordinaire Miss Hannah Five Names I'm Raymond Parts the third better known as RP3 Until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.